We are in Luke chapter 4, 16 through 30. So here we go. Jesus went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, Surely you will quote this proverb to me, Physician, heal yourself. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we heard that you did in Capernaum. Truly, I tell you, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time. When you saw the sky was shut for three and a half years, and there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman, the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of the town, took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Lord, this is your church, which means you get to do whatever you want to do. And so Jesus, would you be free in your anointing? Lord, help us to allow you to touch us, to heal us, to bind us up, to set us free, to do, God, whatever it is. You know every need in this room. You know every darkness in this room. Would you be free today to just come? This is your house, Lord. Fill it, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning, the title of the message is The Anointing. So Jesus is quoting the traditional messianic passage. The the Christ is the anointed one. That's what Christ means. And so he's, he's saying the spirit of the Lord is on me I am the one that is anointed to preach the gospel, to set the captives free, to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the sick, to, to give the sight, I, sight to the blind. And then he says this, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it says that he rolled up the scroll and said, today, this prophecy has been fulfilled in your midst. Well, he stops halfway between the verse. The verse is Isaiah 61, 2, and it says to pro- the Messiah is going to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, 
and the day of God's vengeance or God's judgment. Well, when Jesus comes the second time, he's coming like a lion and he's coming as a judge to bring judgment to the world. He's gonna take the church first, but he's gonna bring judgment to the world. But that's not the time we're in right now. We're in something called the year of the Lord's favor, which is a little foreign to us. What, what does that even mean? Everyone that was there knew what he was talking about. The year of the Lord's favor is the year of Jubilee. In Israel, it's every 50 years, and it is the year where everybody goes free. Everybody gets their debt forgiven. Everybody gets a new start. Whatever failures you've had, whatever mistakes you've had, whatever debt you got into, God declared Jubilee. There is this year of favor where everybody gets a do-over. This is the time we are living in right now. We're going to live in this time until Jesus returns. We are still in the year of the Lord's favor. Have no question that what is in God's heart towards you is he wants to give you a jubilee. He wants to give you a new beginning. So point one, what is the anointing? The anointing is a manifestation or a revealing of God's presence and power right now to set people free, to bring healing to their lives, to their hearts, to their bodies, to everything that's going on in them. The Bible says this in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth and he went about doing good healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So Jesus went about giving people a taste of the very goodness of God, a manifestation of God's goodness. And here's what it looks like. He healed people and broke them free from whatever darkness was over their lives. This is what the anointing does. It comes into our darkness and it starts freeing us from whatever has been holding us, whatever has been um, dark in us. The anointing is his ongoing work as the Christ. So there's two types of work that Jesus did. The first type of work is finished work. This is work only he could do. Jesus means the Lord saves. Jesus is the Savior, and he did work that you and I can't do. In Isaiah 53, it describes it, that he was the, the Lamb of God that took upon himself the iniquity of all of us. And he took God's punishment for sin, God's wrath for sin. And remember on the cross, he said, it is finished. That work is done. You, and, and all we need to do on this side of it is receive his finished work. God has already judged your sins on the cross, and you just need to receive his gift. His, he paid for it with his blood, and in Christ, we are forgiven. That is his work as Savior. It is finished. All you can do is look back and say thank you and receive what he has done by his grace. His anointing, which is Isaiah 61, is his ongoing work. Christ is not a name. It's a title. 
It means the anointed one. He is the anointed one. And he came and he modeled the anointing for us. He said, whoever believes in me, the works I do, will he do also? And greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. And before he left, he said, the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You guys are going to be baptized, immersed, overflowing with the Holy Spirit so that you can be my witnesses. And so what happened in Acts, you can read it, is they did the same things Jesus did. They, they healed the sick, they cast out demons, they raised the dead. They, they, they saved the lost and, and the anointing of Jesus is still here. When he was on this earth, the anointing flowed through his body. It was his mouth, it was his hands, it was the, 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 the robe of his garment and the, that healing, that manifestation of anointing was in Jesus. Today, he's still the anointed one and his healing still flows through his body. It just happens that we're, that's us. It flows through, we're his mouth, we're his hands, we're, we're his robe. We're, the anointing comes now through the church to bring God's healing and God's presence and God's power into this world. What is the anointing? It frees us for a new beginning, but will not keep us free without us embracing the truth. So Galatians chapter five, verse one. It was for freedom that Christ set you free Stand firm, therefore, in your freedom and do not become enslaved again to a yoke of bondage. So it starts this way. It was for freedom that Christ set you free. That, that word Christ there is the anointed one. So it's the anointing that sets us free. We, we oftentimes in this world, we get bound in stuff. We get bound in some type of darkness and, uh, and it kind of has a hold of us and the world's got all kinds of ways to get better. Here's three steps. Here's uh, self-help. This is a pill you can take. This is a psychiatrist you can go to. There's all kinds of plans the world has to because we're, you're hurting and you're, you're bound up. And, and, and oftentimes the church comes right alongside and says, you need to pray more. You need to read your Bible more. If you would just obey more, you're not doing this enough. You're not doing that enough. And you, you know what? Sometimes up front, what you need is a power encounter. You need Jesus in his power to do something for you that you can't do for yourself. It's kind of like going to the chiropractor. Have you noticed you can't give an adjustment to yourself? Somebody else has to give you an adjustment. Now, it's wonderful to be touched by the anointing. It's wonderful and you feel free and you feel healed and you feel because God did it like it's gonna last forever and nope, that's not how it works. The anointing does a lot up front, but it's so that we get a new beginning. The tr you're, we're gonna have to stand in the truth. We're gonna have to grab a hold of the truth and we're gonna have to stand firm in the truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so we have a part to play. God frees us and then he invites us to take this new beginning, to stand firm in the truth and to embrace the truth and not let darkness re-enslave us. And so we have to learn how to stand firm. God didn't want to do it all for us. He wanted to do his part and then he wanted to be with us as we walk out 
freedom. He wants us to partner in our own freedom. So it's kind of like the chiropractor gives the adjustment and then he gives you these lists of exercises that you need to do to keep your back in place. Well, a lot of times people don't want to do those exercises. <laughs> I'm not doing any exercises. And, and so what happens is your back goes out again and then you have to come back and get adjusted again, come adjusted again. And, and oftentimes, honestly, I love the charismatic church, but oftentimes charismatics are guilty of just wanting another meeting, another power encounter, a bigger anointing, another meeting because um, we're just kind of out there. And God's like, God's like, no, I, I love the power. I want to touch you with my power. And I'll touch you again and again. He, Jesus will do this, but he's got something more for us than just setting us free. He wants us to live free. <laughs> and so, so we have to add some discipline to our life and we need, to, we need to stand firm in the truth that God gives us or we're gonna be disappointed. And then this has caused tremendous confusion in the body of Christ because if God healed me, then I should be healed still. If God delivered me, I should still be delivered. No, that's not how it works. That's not how it works. God could have really done it and the enemy's very clever. He gets back in, he, he brings it. Jesus says it can be actually worse after you get delivered. The enemy tries to get back in and if the house is empty, the house has to become filled with truth. Our minds are the house. And so that's another sermon, but just so you know. All right, point two, overcoming entitlement. So this is, it is confusing in this passage. It's like, how can people go from being so excited about Jesus and, hey, this is Joseph's son and isn't he awesome? And he's, he's our boy. He's from here. We're so proud of him. How can they go from that to a few verses later being so angry they want to kill him by pushing him off the cliff? How do, they, how do you go from there to there? Well, it turns out there is something called entitlement that God confronts. He confronted it then, and he'll confront it today. Entitlement says this, Jesus owes us. We raised him. He is from here. He did that in Capernaum. Well, let's see what he's got for us. He has to do something because he's under our control. And Jesus just, he just, he gets in the face of it. He gets in the face of entitlement and he says, uh, surely you're going to say, physician, heal yourself. And he says, no prophets welcome in his hometown. You're going to say to me, do the miracles. We're waiting. Do the miracles that you did in Capernaum. And he said, hey, there were many widows in Elijah's day. And he wasn't sent to any of them in Israel. He was sent to the widow at Zarephath. And in the days of Naaman, weren't there lepers in Israel? But Elisha wasn't sent to anyone. He was sent to Naaman, this, this Syrian. And th these are both Gentiles. Like Israelites were in need and he sent to Gentiles and the, it just made them, it stirred up all of their entitlement, all of their anger to the point that they wanted to push him off a cliff. But it's not just the religious people in the hometown that have entitlement issues. There's another time that Jesus quotes Isaiah 61, the exact same passage. And he confronts the exact same spirit of entitlement. But this time, it's in one of his most devoted followers. 
It's in John the Baptist. So, so here we are. This is just a few chapters after this. This is Luke 7 now, 18 through 23. The disciples of John also reported to him about all these things. And after summoning two of his disciples, John sent them to the Lord saying, Are you the coming one or are we to look for another? When the men came to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you to ask, are you the coming one or are we to look for another? At that very time, he cured many people of diseases and afflictions and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. And he answered and said to them, go and report to John what you have seen and heard. People who were blind receive sight. People who limped walk. People with leprosy are cleansed. And people who were deaf hear. Dead people are raised up. And the people who are poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is anyone who does not take offense at me. Guys, this is, this is like the number one guy, the number one Jesus guy. He saw the heavens open. He saw the Holy Spirit descend on him. He heard the voice of the Father. This is my beloved Son. He proclaimed, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John has all of this in the light. And then he gets sent to prison. And it's not working for him. He's supposed to be Elijah. That was what was prophesied over at his birth. He's supposed to be the guy that goes up with the angels and the chariots. And he's, he's not supposed to ever be in prison. He's got his own idea of what this is going to look like. And it didn't include him being in prison. And so he sends his disciples. He's just like, if, if this is what my life is, maybe I missed it. Maybe he's not the one. And so he sends his disciples and, and Jesus quotes Isaiah 61. All the things that the Messiah, the anointed one is going to do, it's all there. And then he says, tell John, I am him. He didn't make a mistake. But also tell him this, blessed is the one who's not offended by me. Just because I don't do it your way, just because uh, it, your life is a little different than you thought it would be or the way you ordered it or the way you prayed it or the way that you thought God would do it. If God loves me, this is how it'll go. Um, and he didn't do it that way. He chose not to do it that way. It, what happens is, is it brings up this sense of entitlement in us, especially if we've served God. We give money to that church. We've done this. We've done this hard thing. We've done that. We just feel like we're owed something and that's gonna get you away from grace. Grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. And God will always confront that sense of entitlement. And so, uh, you know, he does it with pastors too. Pastors can easily start to think it's their church. This is my church. So here's what happened to me up in Faustin. Faustin, Northwest Minnesota, I'm going to be there for family. Alice and I are going to family camp this summer and go back there. We were with a lot of the Faustin people over this last week at uh, our national convention. And we're up there. This is the early, mid-90s. And we needed a youth pastor. And I had already gone through everybody I knew that I thought would be a great youth pastor. I had called them. I asked them to pray about it. Asked them, no, 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 no. And the person that kept coming to my mind was Shane Holden. And Shane 
Shane, I discipled Shane when I was the college and career pastor in Madison, and he, he came out of the drug culture, and he barely finished high school, and then felt like he was called to the ministry, so we got him into Christian Life College, and he was at Christian Life College at this time, but he had long hair and an earring, and I'm in this very conservative Pentecostal church. I mean, you cannot imagine how conservative this Pentecostal church was, and I'm like, Lord, not Shane. Shane would make a mess of this church, not Shane. I'm like, Lord, send Shane to the inner city. There's a whole, there's a world of need out there. He needs to be in the inner city. There's lots of people that he could connect with. And every time Shane, 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 I'm like, all right, I'll at least call him and let him say that's a crazy idea. So I call Shane and Shane says he'll pray about it. And a week later he calls and he says, he says, God said, yes, we're coming, to, we're coming to Boston. I'm like, bro, you're going to have to get a haircut, and you're going to have to take that earring off. And so he comes up. He comes up. And in those days, guys, everybody preaches in a suit and a tie. And so I'm in a suit and a tie. Shane's in a suit and a tie. You, this is just the culture of that church. And so, but it's going pretty good. Not perfect, but it's going okay. And... Uh, and then comes time for vacation. And I am, for the first time, trusting the church to Shane's care. Shane is going to be doing it. He's in charge. He's preaching. He's doing the whole thing. So we go on vacation. I'm in Milton. I'm having the time of my life in Milton. My kids are there. We're, and somebody comes to me. Uh, you got a phone call, and it's urgent. I'm like, what? So I pick up the Shane. And here's what he says. He says, I'm so sorry to call you on vacation. God told me that I'm supposed to preach in blue jeans and a t-shirt and put my earring in this Sunday. <laughs> Is that okay? <laughs> and, I, and so I'm like this. How sure are you that it's God? <laughs> he said, it's hard to tell with these things. But he says, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's God. And I'm just like, you know, at the end of the day, Lord, it's not my church. If you want to mess this church up, it's your church to mess up. I'm like, go ahead. And uh, it was the first of many troubles that we had in Boston. Um, so but two weeks ago, we got a little payback on Shane. So last November, Shane says, I want you to come and speak in the, my church in Onalaska. So it's called First Free. It's in Onalaska. It's a huge church, 2,400, Saturday and Sunday, three services, just this huge church. And uh, he's like, I want you to come and preach. I need you to come and preach at, at our church. And I'm like, well, if you're going to have me come, we really need to do a pizza party on, on, on a night because this is what God's doing with me all over the world. We're buying pizza for teenagers and then God's just pouring out his spirit on teenagers. And, uh, and he's like, he's like, all right, all right, we'll do it. And so we schedule it after Easter is the first Sunday I could do it. So we, we schedule it and then it gets close and John Reiner, his assistant calls me and says, Hey, we're we're doing this conference and we usually do it right around then. Is there any way we could just put the two together and you would speak on the Friday night and we'd invite the teenager, we'd still do the pizza. And I'm like, yeah, sure, Not, no, no problem. And, uh, but because of some trouble, 
that has been around this in the past, I told Shane, because this is an evangelical free church. I'm like, Shane, you need to prepare those parents that things are going to happen that are outside of their experience and they can either come with, they can keep their kids from it, but it, it needs, I don't want to mess your church up. And I said, and I'll make sure that it just happens on Friday night. I've, Saturday and Sunday will be fine. We will, cause, cause they're Friday night, they have a monthly Friday night meeting and it's, it's kind of like they're Holy Spirit people. It's those people that love that stuff. And I'm like, so we'll do that then. And then it'll be, it'll be nice and churchy on Saturday and Sunday. So, uh, so he's like, he's like, perfect, perfect. And so, so, so Friday night comes, we have our young adults with us. I've got Ted Gary and Derek and Joe coming to help minister and, and some young adult leaders are all going to help me pray for people. And, uh, and I preach on the anointing. I tell a few stories about the anointing and then we get to the end of the service and I, I, we're going to bring the lights down, and uh, I have everybody stand up and get in the receive position, and then I start praying for God's glory to come. God's glory is his manifest presence to you, to reveal God to you. And the word glory in Hebrew is weight. It, it's called the weight of his glory, that, that when, it, when his glory manifests, you can actually feel it on you, and so... I, I just prayed for the, the weight of his glory to come. And I said, now, if, if, if that weight is on you right now, you're, maybe you're even having trouble standing up and it just came on you just while I was praying. That's God's invitation for more. So if that's you, come on forward. And so they came forward and they were from one side to the other. Their building's way bigger than ours, but there were people all the way across. And so I, I called up the ministry teams the first couple I did on the microphone, I said, and I, and I said, we're not, nobody has to fall over. And you're going to notice, I'm not going to pray that anybody falls over or shakes or cries or any of that. We're only going to pray for more of the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit's doing. And so, uh, so, but I also said, when the, when that weight comes on you, a lot of times you feel like you're going to fall over. And I encourage you, we're going to have catchers behind you if that happens no one has to fall, but if you feel like you're going to, just give in to it. And I said, you don't, don't make a doctrine about it because it's just a human response to the presence of God. It's like a sign and a wonder. Don't try to, don't try to figure it out. I've thought a lot about it. And, and what I've come up, to is, uh, come up with is this. Before a surgeon operates on somebody, they put them under. They put them under, and then while they're on their back, they open them up. They do stuff that's way above that person's pay grade. That person, if you explained it to them, they wouldn't know what it even meant. They do that stuff. They sew it back up. They get you back up. They bring you back out, and you get up, and you're better. And, and, I, and I said, this is what Jesus came to do. And so if you, get, if, you get, if you fall over, don't freak out. That's just his presence. And if you feel like you're stuck, like you can't get up, it just means the operation isn't over. You're in a safe place. You're in the Father's living room. Just let the love of God be on you. You just go ahead and worship and know that he's operating. He's operating. And I said, I'll guarantee you when the operation's over, you will be able to get back up and you will be better than you've been. He will fix things. Things get broken in us 
because of trauma, because of loss, because of bereavement. Things get broken, and then we are oftentimes just survivors. <laughs> we just keep doing life, and, and no one ever gets, makes us better. And then we take a pill for this, and a pill for this, and a pill for this, and we need a psychiatrist for this, and, and I'm not against any of those things. Whatever is helping, but Jesus is the only one that can actually heal us. He actually knows what's broken, how it got broken, and he can actually heal us and, and, and make us better. And so we start praying for people. I've got the, the team up there, and here's all I can, here's, here's how I explain it. Human desire for God collided with divine generosity. That's, all, that's the only explanation of what happened that Friday night. God came and touched people in so many different intense ways. Max is Shane's son, and he's in charge of their youth group. And, and he had been doing a couple of weeks on the Holy Spirit, like introduction to the Holy Spirit. This is who the Holy Spirit is. So he had them a little prepared, but Shane and his youth group, they all got laid out all over the place. I talked to Max afterward, or Max and his youth group, and I talked to Max afterward. He said, he was just stunned. He's like, we, this has never, nothing like this ever happened in our church. I don't, we don't even know what to do with all this. This is just amazing. And uh, so, uh, so just a great night. Friday night's just a great night, as promised. It was just a great night. God touched people, but that was the Holy Spirit people. So now, on Saturday... We finish the conference, and then I have to do Saturday night. They have a 5.30, and now the Holy Spirit, that stuff's on Friday night, not on Saturday and Sunday. That's the big church. And so um, I do, I preach on the one thing. It's a great service. People get saved, but no prayer afterwards, just no, nothing afterwards. People get dismissed, and they all go. And, uh, but then we go over to Shane's house for dinner, and he's got his, one of his staff is there, and she is telling about what happened to her 13-year-old daughter. And she is just absolutely lit up. She wants to be addicted to his presence. Her and her friends have prayed all night. They're inviting people tomorrow morning because you're speaking. They can't wait. They're so excited. And the husband didn't come Friday night. And he must have said at least three times, I can't believe I missed it. God came to our church and I missed it. And he's grilling Shane and I for every Toronto story, every revival movement. And he's just like, he, I feel this ache in him for the, for the moving of God. And so I, I go back and we go back to the hotel and I get up the next morning and I'm like, I just feel like to pretend that Friday night didn't happen is like almost a betrayal. And I, I don't, I mean, adults are one thing, but this 13-year-old girl that's bringing all her friends, I just, it's, it'd be so wrong to not say something about Friday night. So I get the plan. I come to Shane and I say, hey, hey, bro, I got bad news. <laughs> Remember how I said that we wouldn't have any messes on Sunday morning? Well, here's, here's what I want to say, but I'll, I will only do it with your permission. And he, he says this. He said, well, funny thing. He said, I was shocked. I woke up. I'm, I'm not expecting it all. I had the most intense quiet time. God was in my quiet time. And he spoke to me. And here's what he said. This is my church. <laughs> and Shane's like, so you can do whatever you want to do. <laughs> and, and, and he said, and he said I'll, tell, I'll tell the church. I'll tell the church. Tom can do whatever he wants to do. 
And so, so here's how I start the service. Before I preach on the one thing, here's how I start. I said, guys, what these pizza parties have been all over the world, it's all about Luke eleven thirteen. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And what the message is for young people is their darkness, however dark they are, however depressed, however addicted, however blasphemous, however lustful, whatever darkness they're in, here's God's message to them. Your darkness does not disqualify you for me touching you. In fact, me touching you is the answer for your darkness. I love you. None of your darkness changes my love for you. I love you absolutely. And I'm waiting for you to ask because my touch, my spirit coming is the answer for your darkness. Now, there's a few things about gifts that are really important. The, the purpose of a gift is to awaken intimacy. It's a surprise. A surprise awakens intimacy. Somebody that loved you paid this price because they know you, they know who you are, they know what, what would be a desire, and you get this surprise, and it, it awakens intimacy. And so God wants to surprise people. People that think God's not interested in them. People that think God's interested in other people, but he certainly isn't interested in me because I'm not a Christian, or I'm not religious, or I don't go to church, or I'm not, I'm, I'm, in darkness in every way. God's not interested. And surprise, he is. And then this idea that as a father of four children myself, the idea <laughs> that I would come back from a trip and only have three gifts, the fourth one, you just don't get one, is unthinkable. It's just absolutely unthinkable. There's a gift for all of us. He's got a gift for every single one of us. But then here's where the trouble comes into play. You never get your children the exact same gift that you gave everybody else. It's personal. It's intimate. You, they all get a different gift. The trouble comes when you start comparing gifts. When you start like, why you did this for Capernaum. Why don't you do that for us? And you, you gave them that. And why didn't I give? How much did that one even cost? Because I don't think this costs much. And, and when children start comparing you get into problems. And with the Holy Spirit, there's, there can be lots of problems. It, 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 there, first, there can be an offense with God. Why did that person get so touched and so overwhelmed and I didn't get anything? Or insecurity, like what's wrong with me that I didn't get touched? What's wrong with me? And guys, this is God, everybody in this room, God loves. God loves everybody in this room, but he gives different gifts and he gives them in different ways and at different times and and is it, can we just be happy for each other? Amen. However God touches us, can we just be happy that God is touching any of us and that God is, God is doing anything? And so I said, um, after the service, we're going to turn the lights back down and, and on dismissal, if you are a young person that's heard about Friday night and you wished you had been there and, or maybe you were there, but you never got prayed for and you wish you had, um, I'm going to just be happy. And Shane's already approved. And Shane said that, that he approved it. Um, I'm just going to, I'm going to pray for you. And I will let you decide whether you're young or not. You get to decide what young person means. You get to self-decide whether you are a young person. So we turn the lights down at the end. I come down to the middle here. 
and crowds of people come on both sides. There's a crowd here and there's a crowd here and there. And I'm hoping that some of those people are there to watch their young person get prayed for. No, they, they were sure they were young and I, they had gray hair. Anyway, um, so the first 20 minutes, Shane is my catcher. I'm taking about 30 seconds with each person and just the glory of God's just pouring out. Boom, 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 boom. People laying all over the place. But we get to 25 after 10. Their next service starts at 10.30. There's still crowds on both sides. I'm like, Shane, what? What should we do? Should I tell him to come back after the second service? He said, no. Go over to the side. Tell them all to go over to the side. You keep praying for people. And we will explain to the new people that come in what's happening. So I'm like, I can't wait to hear this. So... So I'm over there. There are people laid out all of that. So the worship leader gets up and says this. He says, hey, we had, we had a little overflow of the goodness of God from Friday night. And you're going to probably notice some people sleeping <laughs> on the floor, over the side. Trust us. It's beautiful. God is here. God is moving. Don't worry about it. And it just kind of settled the whole church. So... By the time I'm done praying for people, I literally go to the bathroom, get another bottle of water, and, it's, and I'm up to preach again. And uh, so the second service, I say the same thing. And keep in mind, I don't have any teams anymore. The young adults aren't there. Joe is not there. Nobody's there except me. And so I'm praying for all of these people. So the second service, after I say my little thing, Shane says, we have 80 youth that are coming over. They, they're, they're in the service now. They, they meet separately, but they're coming over. Let's let the youth go first because their parents are going to have to take them home. But then if anybody else wants to get prayed for, Tom will be happy. I, I know Tom. He'll be happy to stay until 10 p.m. tonight praying for people. <laughs> Thank you, Brother Shane. And so... So literally, they lined up single file, and this is a huge church. So they start in the beginning, and they're just going all the way back to the door. As far as I can see, they're lined up, and I'm taking about 30 seconds with each one, and they're just getting laid out all over the place. And um, Shane said halfway through it, now we're the crazy church. <laughs> so on Tuesday, I called him, and he said, we have not had a single complaint. He said, we have, we have parents calling Max and thanking him. He said, I could give you 50 testimonies right now. He said, here's, here's just a couple. He said, Friday night, a 14-year-old girl who had never heard tongues got slain in the spirit. She started speaking in tongues. And then she told me later, I went to do worship songs. I couldn't speak in English anymore. I, it just came out in another language. He said, we had, we had this couple come. The, the mom was six. They'd only been to church two times. This is their third time in church. And the mom comes to Shane. Can I get prayed for? I can't. I, I, can't, I don't want to fall over. Can I sit and pray? She's like, yeah, however you want to get prayed for. And her 30-year-old daughter is there too. So I pray for the mom sitting down and the glory touches her. And, and then I think that the, the 30-year-old daughter is going to get prayed for that. She's, no, I want to stand up. And so she stands up and the glory of God just overwhelms her. And, and she goes to Shane after a while 
And she can't stop crying. And she's like, I don't understand how God could touch me. I'm, I'm a mess. I've been married three times. I've been in this. I've been in that. I'm just, I don't understand why God would touch me at such a, in such a deep way. And Shane now is crying. He's like, I'll tell you why God touched you. Because he loves you. Nothing you have done has changed his love for you. He has looked forward to this time. He wanted to touch you. He wants to give you a new beginning.